You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2019. All right, guys. Uh, happy DragonCon Saturday morning. Like just just barely still Saturday morning. You guys are the real heroes. <laughs> We're all heroes for being here this early at Dragon Con. Uh, it's eleven thirty. It's not that bad. Um, so this is this panel is heroic journeys in Game of Thrones. My name is Tara. I'm going to be the moderator. I am an author, webcaster, podcaster, and I organize Ice and Fire Con, which was the is the was the first ever uh, Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention in the U.S. Um, Andrew, you want to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Eyes of Vericon is now in Ohio. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I heard the where. Um, yeah, my name's Andrew Dudeski. Um, I'm co-host on the Stats Check podcast. I've been going to Dragon Cons my eighth year, I think. I'm still a little hungover. Um, and I am on the small council that helps run Ice and Fire Con. And yeah, uh, love the high fantasy track. Uh, my name is Trey Cooper. Um, I have a background in some genre literary studies. I'm a huge Martin fan, and unrelated to Martin, but related to uh, literary analysis, I'm a beta reader for Brandon Sanderson. Nice. Oh, so. It's a honor this year. <laughs> uh, my name's Chloe. I am a podcaster on Girls Gone Canon. We do literary analysis for covering A Song of Ice and Fire POV chapter by POV chapter right now. We also just started covering His Dark Materials, so we're really excited about that. We're powering through before the new series. Um, and I also am one of the Ice and Fire Conners. I help organize the convention with Tara and Andrew. All right. So the idea for this panel was, um, you know, to talk about how Martin and, and of course, it's because the track theme this year is Heroic Journey. So we're going to be talking mostly about how Martin both utilizes and subverts um, the traditional like hero hero's journey trope. Um, sorry. <clears throat> Something in my throat. Uh, but so and, and to be honest, like it's it's real easy to jump right into this with the very obvious characters. Um, I think probably the first one being Ned, you know, you, you, you start reading A Game of Thrones with, you know, Ned as kind of one of the really, really like the, the main POV person. Like, even though there's several POVs, of course, he seems to be the most important one. He's the one who knows the most stuff. Um, I put that in quotes. <laughs> um, but then, you know, before the well, well before the end of the book, he is beheaded. Um, so you've you've lost that like connection that you thought was growing, um, you know, to that character and everything. And and I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like when I first read Game of Thrones, I did not. I didn't believe it. Like I thought it was a fake out, you know. Um, like I, I, I ripped through the rest of the book and got to the end and was like, no, he's not really dead, right? Like I, like I actually had to look it up on like Wikipedia. Like he's like assuming he was going to be coming back or something. Like I was, I was so like I, I was not even worried about spoiling myself because he had to come back, right? You know, you can't kill off your kind of main POV character. Um, but and that that really was just the beginning. But at the same time. You know, like I said, I think Martin also he, he utilizes the trope as much as he subverts it. So um, I don't know. What are some characters I, I, that I think it's a reinvention of it because you know, sort of the and I interested to be general and go you know the hero's arc, right? You go from the known to the unknown. You know, some of your mentors, your guys, you have challenges, and there's sort of a part. There's a um, quintessential challenge where there's usually a death 
and rebirth. You become something else or become something more, you're transformed, right? So I think part of it, and then you eventually come back home and return to where you started. You know, sort of, I think LOTR is very straightforward that, you know, back to the Shire in the, in the end of the, the book. Um, and I think with Ned, you get to that point where you get to the, the, the quintessential challenge where there's supposed to be a transformation, supposed to be, you know, a, a death and rebirth, and there's just death. <laughs> but in a way, I think about it like, okay, how is he, how does he live on? How does, like, Ned's ghost, I think Ned is still present in his children. He's still present in the North. He's still present <coughs> in all these interactions and how they play out with the Lannisters, the Starks, and even the other parties who know Ned. I think, like, Stannis getting, you know, you know, hearing, okay, this is from Ned. This has more credibility because it's Ned. This guy doesn't lie. Like, I know he's a straight shooter. So I think, in, and that drives a lot of the characters, Rob doing what he does, you know. Even characters that are subverting him, like, Ty, um, like Tywin or Roos, you know. They know who he was, they know his weaknesses and the flaws, and they play into that. So. Yeah. And there's, there are obviously a lot of low-hanging fruits. I mean, I think John is probably the prototypical. I think John's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys want to go into maybe his story a little bit. Yeah, well, what you're talking about with Ned is interesting because Ned already had that transformation, right? That transformation for Ned when he became the hero was when his sister lay dying in a bed in front of him, begging him to watch after her son. That was his transformation. That's very true. That is yeah. the transformation for Ned. So he's already been on this hero's journey. And with what Andrew's saying, that a lot of like the Stark children represent you know, his legacy. They're carrying on this idea of legacy and doing what was right and that his way was the right way. Someone like Tywin's way, we learned Tywin's way is the wrong way. It's obviously the wrong way. We see his kids and where they are and what they're doing. It's not a good legacy. Uh, so John is what carries on Ned. He closes that loop for Ned, right? He keeps that honor, that justice. He carries out that sense of it throughout the books. Um, even when he's you know, going to the wildlings, living with the free folk, he thinks, like, I'm a turncloak, I'm an oathbreaker, like, I'm going to be known as a murderer my whole life. Uh, and that weight is the same weight that Ned carried, you know. I, he murdered Arthur Dane. Why? Well, we have kind of a hint of why, obviously. Not really printed yet, but we know why. Yeah, I mean, John, John is definitely the prototypical. He hits all the beats, called a, called a journey, you know. He, he leaves to go to the uh, Night's Watch, and then uh, he's challenged at the Night's Watch. <laughs> He ends up uh, facing trials by going north of the wall. He wears a false skin. Uh, he's tempted by Egret, the quintessential temptress. Red hair um, and all. Yeah, red hair and all. <laughs> um, you know, um, the, you know the, the whole idea of like resisting the call to action when, when uh, Rob dies. He wants to bail on being the hero. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, he hits all the beats. He is like... The model that Martin uses to subvert everyone else, and and I just think the fact that all the characters are on like mini heroes journey isn't itself a, a, a kind of subversion of the whole idea of the hero's journey itself. The model, um, as Joseph Campbell laid out, you know, was was not meant to be multi POV <laughs> in a in a really complicated world. It was it was stereotypical. It was iconic. It was yeah. a single journey for single growth. So. Well, I mean, and, and also, like, of course, you get Ned's point of view, you get John's point of view, but there's other characters who, you know, are, I mean, uh, Rob, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess at this, at the point, by the, by the time Rob becomes kind of clearly important enough to uh, where you're seeing like, oh, he's got his own story, you're, you're obviously not getting his point of view, but at the same time, it's almost like you kind of know that it's not going to last, I would think. Like, I, I mean, I, as, after, the, after Ned died, I was kind of like, okay, well, 
anything goes here. And, you know, Rob, Rob is stepping up and he's uh, leading the army and he's winning everything. There's no way this is going to last. And, and that's sort of like, it's one of the more just blatantly obvious, um, you know, characters where Martin like puts puts Rob out there and like you know it's going to end like you know this isn't going to last and but I mean then like later he brings in like Quentin you know who also kind of has that same sort of um not not shoot nothing goes right for him nothing goes right for him but you know except for taming the dragon in the end yeah yeah that went that went really well that went really well and george is like he's it's not even that he's subverting these things it's he's redefining what a hero is right right Right. uh what makes an honorable man what truly is just and righteous you have stannis who is a righteous and just man he's not a great dad or a great buddy like you probably wouldn't want to go hang out on Sundays for church with him right but uh, he is righteous and just like he's living by an ethical moral code but does that make him a hero necessarily you look at Quentin who Quentin shows up in the books and he thinks he's the hero same with Aegon the next Aegon to take the throne possibly Uh, they think they're the heroes of the story but they're not so you have this representation of what their motives are why they're doing them, then you say, is that truly what's heroic to the main story of the book? And he redefines those heroes. You meet, even through Arya, who is a, you know, a child of war, she's going through and she is gonna have some post-traumatic stress very badly in the end of the story, like very obviously, but she's seeing horrific things and trying to be as ethically just and moral as she can in the face of them. So it's really how they treat other humans, what their journey is about, and is it actually a worthwhile cause the narrative? I mean, I agree. I think I think Martin sprinkles uh, all the all the characters that have any major beats in the story. He sets up to have proto hero journeys, mm-hmm. and and I think in a way he's using that as a misdirect. He's subverting the tropes to say, who do you think is really the hero? And and you know, like the obvious answer is is Danny and John and Tyrion. They they have the clearest ones, but you know, every single person, you know, has their call to action. Arya. Uh, Sansa and King's Landing, everyone, and and you got to kind of analyze it and say, are they going to be the ones that go forward, and are they going to be the ones that that just die? And, and there's a matter of perspective there too, right? Because when you're looking at it from their perspective, you can see see that model fit in that model, and you're identifying with that model. You're identifying with those characters, with Danny when she's going through all these struggles. You're identifying with John, you know. So ultimately, some of these characters like Quentin, you see him burn out pretty quick. But I think with Danny and John, there's a more of a slow burn, if you will, mm-hmm. no pun intended. But uh, Rip King's Landing, um, but. You know, it's still it's still playing out in terms of the perspective and in terms of the the Martin Martinian way of subverting the trope over the long scale. And by the way, just as a note, if anybody wants to make any comments, I don't know. If yeah, please there, just, just raise your hand, hand up, yeah. and we'll just we'll just go. Yeah, there's one in the back. I didn't think about it before, but isn't the Game of Thrones novel? basically Star Wars if you had just followed Obi-Wan the entire movie instead of Luke Skywalker? Well, I mean, and, and feel free to comment on this because you've probably read much more than I have, but I think it's a pretty, you know, in general, the hero's journey is a trope that, you know, we identify with in storytelling, you know, so it's, it's if you look through those arcs and you break them down in their quintessential elements, you can start lining them up. So I wouldn't, I could imagine if you really broke it down, you'd be able to line it up with Star Wars. I'm sure I could do that, like, with, I don't know, an hour and like some Jack Daniels and like figure that out. <laughs> so, so a little background for Hero Journey people. Um, yeah. uh, uh, George Lucas, like 
directly used Joseph Campbell to write Star Wars. But before that, yeah. Joseph Campbell, um, um, the whole uh, kind of study of mythology and folklore was by and large a, a kind of sociological, anthrop anthropologi anthropological study. Yeah. And so uh, in the early days, uh, you had scholars, um, Claude Levi-Strauss, who um, formed a movement called Structuralism, where he, uh, he traveled in South America and uh, made... Uh, these myth themes, these movements, and, and from there there was a Russian folklorist named Vladimir Prop who developed uh, formalism, which was an offshoot of structuralism, and Claude Lévi-Strauss by and large hated him. Uh, and he actually devised 31 movements, um, and it was all very uh, no-give. There is, there is, you know, part one, and then you have sub subsections A, B, C, D, E, and F, and it's either part 1A, part 1B, part 1C. <laughs> Um, I actually had the opportunity to take Vladimir Propp's uh, code and encode A New Hope. And it's about, uh, it was about a line of text about that long, of, of letters with subscripts and superscripts. Um, but from that, we get Sir, Sir James George Frazier, who wrote The Golden, the Golden Bough, um, which was kind of trying to describe how myth influences culture. And, and so from there we get to Joseph Campbell. And so there's, there's this huge litany of people that Joseph Campbell is standing upon to, to produce this. And, and I don't know about matching Obi-Wan with Game of Thrones, because uh, Game of Thrones is, is a lot more sophisticated than A New Hope, as much as I love A New Hope. <laughs> um, but um, the elements are gonna translate somehow. Well, I mean, and, and let's be real, like all literature uh, all, really all, all, all like crea creation when it comes to writing things like whether it's movies TV whatever it's, it's pretty much almost all derivative these days like it's hard to I don't even know if it's possible to be absolutely completely original yeah original yeah. It, it's storytelling it's yes. classic storytelling it's what we've done with literature and storytelling that I mean it starts at the most basic level you have a character your character has a want your character goes through trials to get toward the want they hit a climax before the climax your character's downtrodden like something's got to happen the climax happens things turn around the hero wins yay that's a classic boom 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 that's act a story. one act two yep. i mean and and like the whole idea of the hero's journey was to develop to, to explain humanity's motivations yeah, that, that yeah, this there's the heart this in conflict with itself right yeah. there's this there's this like collective subconscious that um, that explains why we do the things we do, and that the the hero's journey illustrates that. Yes. Well, I mean, and and again, like I, I think, if we'd done this panel last year, um, I think there would there would be different things to talk about or the not last talk about. Exist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> season eight was better than season four. It's been bad the whole time. <laughs> I don't know what happens after the come last back book. at seven p.m. Yeah. to hear us talk about those things. <laughs> Um, but no, for, for real though, like, like we all, we all know that Martin is not going to write us a happy ending. Um, and we know that we're going to lose a lot of these characters and, uh, you know, like you mentioned Arya earlier, like everybody loves Arya. I get it. 
But Arya is a very, very troubled little girl. Yeah. And she's not going to have a happy ending. She's not going to have a true hero's journey. I don't think in the end she's going to sail away into the West and, and the just... The West of Westeros? Yeah, West, like, I, 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 I don't think that's going to be her end-all and be-all, is that she just sails away and gets to live happily ever after as a Western pirate or whatever. I don't whatever. know if it would be sailing away to live happily ever after, though. It's basically like... Running from the, the faceless men, right? I mean, well, no, it's what Sandor just did. He dies, yeah. he goes and, you know, gets to have his time to repent, reflect, and shut up for, you know, vows of silence and dig graves and do his penance, and she's going to see some stuff, and even in season eight with that stupid white horse, it symbolizes her choosing life. That right? was like, five minutes. <laughs> five minutes of, of the last season. But that was her choosing life. That was, the point was, it was her choosing life. Beric tells her to live. Sandor tells her to live. She stops murdering people and stops going for vengeance and learns that's not the right way and gets back on her path. So it's like peace for her, and that would be nice because I just thought she was going to die. You know, I'm like, all right. Sure. Oh, I mean, didn't George's so. George's wife told him like yeah, she he's it. he's not allowed to kill Arya, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure Arya is safe. Yeah, but she really did go on the journey, right? I mean, she yeah. she yeah she has her arc. Yes, she faced too many trials, right, and ended up back home. I mean, in, she definitely she had several mentors. She had yeah. definitely had the mentors. She definitely yeah. received magical boons. And yep. she was transformed you when know, she came mm-hmm. home. And and she had to confront uh, her past, just like mm-hmm. everyone else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's gonna have that pile up of trauma. I mean, she so. definitely has. She had to give up her identity. A very, she yes. has a very, she's very closely aligned with the standard beats of the hero's journey. And of course, again, we don't really know how her story is going. To yeah, her dog's just named after a queen that sailed. Not to mention what <laughs> not to mention what blood and fire has someone that sails all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Alyssa so, Farman. Uh, I, yeah. I did want to make a point because um, this might not come up through natural conversation that uh, Sir James George Fraser, the Golden Bough, he tried to explain how society evolved, and his his mo was that you start with the magical past and you develop into the religious controlling understanding of the world and from there you get to science and that's the natural progression of cultural evolution and we see that in martin and it is subverted because we see that the targaryens the valyrians they had this magical past mm-hmm. and uh, a case could be made you know that the um the, the church of the seven um becomes the explanation even as the maesters are kind of causing the magic to go away yeah but the north remembers the magic. <laughs> so they're still seen as a little primitive because their their religion is closer to, to magic than it is to like the organized um, kind of septon driven uh, seven religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we see magic cycling back around, which is not part of James George Fraser's evolution because in our humanity, we, we reach enlightenment and we don't go back to magic. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely a subversion of something that. Campbell built his work on, but wasn't necessarily explicitly talked about by Campbell. Um, Yes, yes, we have a question over here. So as much as I don't want to derail you, um, is that mic even on? Turn it on. It's not even on. Uh. (laughs) No, you got it, you got it. Anyway. um, There you go. Focusing on characters is interesting in and of itself, but uh, may I posit that Martin is actually giving the hero's journey for the houses, that the house Stark is yes. going through this entire transformation. So you gotta like dial it back and lose focus a little bit and see from that angle. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and that's one thing that's beautiful about Game of Thrones, and especially nowadays when you have so much prequel stuff. You know, you've got the Dunkin' the Egg novellas, you've got World of Ice and Fire, we're going to have more prequel stuff. So you're able to go back and see the genesis of a lot of these houses, how they started way back when, you know, some of which were like given land earlier during the Dunkin' Egg novellas or become major houses at that point. And then you see them go through and it come full circle. One thing, if you look through World of Ice and Fire, you'll see the same names reoccur over and over again. That is not a mistake. And you do see similarities and contrasts. You know, obviously uh, one of the more, more funny ones I think is Sam the Savage. You know, one of the best yes, warriors yes, yes, back yes. in the day, of course, juxtaposed completely against our Sam Well Tarley we all know and love. But, you know, it shows that these houses are on these arcs that need to play out and they have a story within themselves. Some of them, however, will be subverted and will end up dying off. You know, you have now houses that have come full circle and died off and will die off. And I also feel like the house journey is very uh, there. There is parody and and like similarity. So you have the Targaryens that are nearly wiped out, go out into exile. You know the same thing is mm -hmm. happening to the Starks in the books as process. You know if you don't if you don't think about the show, um, that that journey has begun for the Starks where they are being destroyed and yep. being driven into exile. And so you see these houses follow the same set of patterns and routines. Yeah, that's that's like the biggest part of Northern Independence too for House Stark. I mean, that's why it's so important. I mean, before the Targaryens even landed, they had been free for so many years, and they did the right thing, which is when you bled yourself dry in a war, you take the knee, you say, "I protect my people." That's you don't see that obviously. You think of the Dance of the Dragons. Well, they did not exactly think of their feudalism and their contract that they signed with the small folk. Um, so House Stark, the North has mostly always remembered. They've always done those things, they've always taken care of their people, and now they're being beat down by the throne. I mean, Sansa Stark bleeds in front of the Iron Throne for Northern Independence. That's, she gets beat by grown men with chain-mailed hands, you know, and swords. Like, that's not, that's not what you do with a highborn hostage, necessarily. Doesn't look good, and then the North's armies are bled, and then the Red Wedding, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So how Stark's progression as that hero they have to hit their transformation. So it is on a whole, and it is that individualistic style of point of view chapters that Sling George does particularly well. He puts his own spin on doing it from their point of view and giving you just the information you need to know. And on the same level, the Targaryen has just experienced death and rebirth and is heading towards apotheosis with Danny and the dragons. Have the same, as far as I know, the same three colors as originally Aegon the Conqueror. I think the dragons are the exact same three colors, if I recall correctly. Yep. Well, I mean, and Chloe, you mentioned Sansa. I think that's kind of, she's kind of a good example of, like, you don't, I, I think a lot of people don't really think of her as, like, having, as, as being part of, like, that heroic journey sort of tale. But she really does, you know, have her, I, I, I I feel like I feel like the general consensus now is a lot more positive towards Sansa than it was like five or six years ago in fandom. Um, but she really does have. Uh, she she has her own like story and and she is her own hero really she has she ends up having to be it's just it's just difficult thinking of villains as mentors right i mean cuz right. you know her mentors are Cersei and Littlefinger right, right. so i mean 
you're not thinking of those as the spiritual guides you necessarily want, but that's what you get. And she learns from them and grows and is transformed by them. Yeah, and those are her tribulations. And, right. and their tool set is very valuable in the world that's left post-Stark. I mean, yeah. And they need somebody in that family with that tool set. Clearly, in their like, skills gap analysis. Right, right. <laughs> that is a giant gaping hole. They each play that role, right? They each have their own role that adds to the family's hero's journey. Not all of them are succinct to everything. Obviously, Sansa herself knows she couldn't wield a sword well or fight like Arya or Jon does, but Sansa is the political one. She's the one that pays attention to those threats, the mind threats. And you need that. You need complementary yeah. skills. Like, that's, you know, it doesn't need to be one hero to rule them all, you know? I mean, you yeah. can have that family dynamic, and I think showing that is something that's different about Game of Thrones is that you see specialization of skills, which you just don't see in other circumstances. And when you get into POV chapters, you see how people are thinking. The fighters are really thinking about fighting technique and what's going on. You know, Davos, that man is talk knows more about ships than anybody else, right? But nothing about fighting. Exactly. <laughs> or politics, really. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. But that was Sansa's original wish, right? Was to be queen. And then by the end of this television series, right, then she's... Well, We're not getting to lose. That's that's what that's uh, no. That is one of the few things from this television show it's that I swear to God it will happen. Like I've been I swearing for like yeah. seven eight years. On oh no no, Sansa, like, Sansa, Sansa Sansa Queen in the North. Yeah. Like absolutely, it's, I think that's always been like because it's a change from her original wants. So when the 1993 outline letter George sent, Sansa originally was going to rue her mistake, but she was going to choose Joffrey over her family. Which we see that on a smaller level, but George has obviously changed what he wanted to do because. In that 93 outline, Sansa has his baby, she just stays there. That's just what she does. She just stays with Joffrey until his death, and, you know, she has the baby and just ruse it, and that's it. And now she becomes this complex character that ends up stuck with the people that have doomed her family and having to learn these awful lessons and survive in a snake pit, you know? And she's a 12-year-old girl for most of it. That's the thing that we don't think of. The TV show aged them up, and George regrets kind of not having them start off that age, but a lot of these lessons change how you view everything when you think how young Arya and Sansa and Bran are and everything that they're going through. It's really intense. And, and that brings a good point. We haven't talked about Bran at all. And I, I have a whole page of notes if you want me to start. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I was trying to avoid this discussion. But yeah, someone we, in the back, the, actually. Okay. We'll, get, we'll get the back before yeah, you get yeah, yeah, the yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing with perspective, right? In a lot of people's perspective, they are the hero. Yeah. You know, however, as the reader, we have that omniscient view where we can see it all and say, "No, no, quitting. You are not the hero, buddy." All they needed was a cell phone. How many times it would solve things in Game of Thrones? Honestly, Lyanna Stark. I just. Um, a lot of people are unhappy with how Game of Thrones ended their season, and I am too because they haven't written for like four years. But it's fine, it's life, you know, it's a TV show, it's flashy, you got dragons, I'm happy about that. Uh, but the thing that was the worst part was the biggest hero's journey, the actual, the last hero, basically, from the story. Uh, old man has this great conversation with Bran, you know, where she tells him, yada yada, last hero, his dog dies, his friends died, like his sword breaks, he's in the heart of winter. Um, and that's basically what Bran goes and does. 
right? And the show kind of took him out for like an entire season, but that helped the ending. <coughs> and I'm not salty about it. Uh, but he, George puts this spit on some of these heroes with this romantic Arthurian twist, right? And many people have written, even before the show finished off, they've written these ideas of the Fisher King and Bran as the kind of Arthurian and Fisher King character, the broken king. Um, Bran the Broken, Bran the Blessed, and you have all these characters in the story like Bran the Builder, and Bran is kind of the most pure of the characters. He has some impure, I want to warg into Hodor and hang out with Mira thoughts, which is kind of like, Bran, you sit down. Um, don't don't well, do that, man. Leave Hodor I mean, down. Leave him alone. <laughs> sit down. It's kind of gross. Kind of gross. Don't do it. Um, it's against his will. You know, it's just not nice. Let Hodor go take, like, a nap. Uh, but Bran becomes this broken king, he is the good lord, he's the last Stark in Winterfell before Winterfell gets taken down. Um, he was learning to be a lordling, he knows all of his histories. He is going to be able to manipulate events, possibly, via Bloodraven and his teachings, and at least see things and help change the future and see the future and help them survive. So his survivalism is really important, it's just they forgot to write it, you know, yeah. for yeah. like a year or two, they kind of just forgot to write it. And I think the more you read about, like, Blood Raven and what he was able to do in the histories, you look back on that and you see, okay, he's going to be really effective if he's using the same tactics as Blood Raven or even better, powered mm -hmm. up. So I think we had a question for you. Sort of a follow-up on that. Just one thing I liked about, uh, uh, one thing I thought about Bran, I should say, um, once he sort of gained all the knowledge of everybody, the show seemed to want to make him more distant and more removed. Yeah. And I think that's partly because the writers just didn't like Bran very much. But <laughs> and, there's, and that's the thing, you see like you know, the cold, dispassionate intellectual, but I think they've done studies where you know, people who are smarter generally also tend to be nicer. Yeah. And I'd like to see that in Bran. Rather than have him become more removed and distant, he actually becomes more compassionate and a better ruler. I think that I hope that's the way they're gonna go with that. Because we left off with that, right? That's in Winterfell, there's that really cute feast at the Harvest Feast where he sends down sweets for no reason to like, you know, old man and Hodor and everyone and all of his buddies at court. He's just like, give, give them a really good size of pie. I love them. Like, just cause. I'm like, what a good boy. I mean, he's, I, he's, boy. A, he's a kid. I think part know? of that is just how they write for TV versus how you can write it. And, and I will definitely talk about that later when we're talking about the yeah, season. Absolutely. You know, but I think, you know, when you're trying to make it a twist, you know, you throw that. What a twist. It's supposed to be edgy. Yeah. I do think that he has the most, like, emblematic mentor and magical boon. Mm -hmm. So, yes. so with yes. John, with mentor, we see Gior. And and Longclaw is his magical boon, with with Daenerys, you know her magical boon is the dragons, and um, but but Bran has has Bloodraven and he has magical warg and Greenseer and every all the other powers that he gets you know. Well, I mean, I think that you know your your mention of of the the whole like the learning of of like compassion and like and kind of carrying that on like Bran knowing everything. He, knowing all of the history and all of the stories, I can't like I, I, I you'd imagine that knowing all of that, you know, e even if you as as a person are, I mean, all people are slightly corrupt. Let's be real, but even if you as a person are slightly corrupt, like knowing all of that history and everything, it just gives you that extra push, that extra drive to make things better. Right. It works against your self interest, right? I mean, because you know. It's essentially just self-interest gone with zero checks. You know, and I think Bran can see, like you said, history and incidences where this just went completely off the rails because of these people. I mean, you have a history of Targaryen kings, and you can see the genius, and you can see the madness. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he's got all that. Well, and the good ones die. I mean, you look at Egg, who started giving 
a guy in the fifth started giving all these like really good things and credits towards the small folk and starting to bring more equal laws into place. Um, and we don't hear about that really a lot as far as those kind of feudal laws being changed now, obviously, in the story. Um, I think they kind of made that joke, they made it into a joke about the whole ho, 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 democracy, but I do think they'll come closer to something like that in the end game. That's one thing I think maybe they simplified a little bit. I think the kingdoms are gonna kind of go down on a lower level, minimize the government a little bit more, and have it be more involved with the local authority. Um, I mean, the whole point of the whole story is just like the small folks suffer while they play their Game of Thrones. Uh, it's just this select, like, what, there's 600,000 registered celebrities on Wikipedia. That's what they have in Westeros, you know, like, or six, yeah, they have, like, that's how, that's it. That's the nobles, that's the high, and everything else is just ants to them. <laughs> I mean, and there's, like, multiples of their ants. Like, they don't... Oh, gosh, yeah, I mean, how yeah. many, like, they... They, they, they don't they, give a crap. <laughs> every, time, every time they go to battle, they're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of troops, Dying. and you don't know who any of these people are. I mean, there's there's not how, how many how many great houses are there? Like, right? How and, many and minor houses are there? Like, the, the the absolute total number is is it's in the do- dozens slash maybe low yeah. hundreds. And, and I think was it Septon Maribald that had the speech about war and talking yeah, about you know people man. fighting people fighting for people they don't even know and a lord takes over the lands and now they're suddenly fighting for him, you know? And these guys don't really have real armor on. They're not knights. They've got like a piece of leather and like an axe they used to use for cutting wood and they're sent out there to like get run down by a horse kind of sucks for the small folk i mean and know, honestly like they're, they're, they're the real history. they're the real heroes you know and and we don't what's sad is that i think that's that's maybe my yeah. one gripe with the song of ice and fire novels is that we never really get we don't get a small folk point of view da- we get davos, we get some davos, davos, is, the closest, davos, davos is the closest, is the closest, closest. And, and we we get some some like epilogue and prologue povs that that are are kind of close to that level but like we don't get any the closest you get is aria brienne and davos yeah That's the closest to the ground you get on it and but i mean aria not because she is a small no, folk, but she's but there she's there yeah that's yeah it. yeah i would say early john actually has some roots in that too with the the kind of bastardization his feeling like right. he's not part of the house yeah and living with you know convicted yes. criminals and right black yeah. exactly so he's I mean, in prison I, pretty much i mean i definitely feel like act one he is that that on the ground commoner that, that. yeah he lived in winterfell he's all right yeah he also actually abused but i'm just saying he did i mean if you're going to include i'm just saying if you're going to include Arya. no i i was saying because she talks to small folk yeah yeah, John a little bit, but then he also gets, like, told by Donald Noy, and Donald Noy's like, you had food every day, son, you had yeah. big, beautiful leathers, you had a sword training lesson every day, these boys have never had that, ever. They, they got sent to jail because they stole some bread for their family, or they raped someone, or they were this or that, and it's awful, but it's like, you're in a penal colony, like, you chose to be here, they did not. And that's still one of the few perspectives we get that. It's just, you know, yeah. if you look at most of the POVs, the majority of the POVs do not even think about that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even cross their mind. Never. Yeah. Cersei would never think about that. No, no, <laughs> never. No. I think she said she hates the people. Yeah. Yeah, she kill all of the scum, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Cersei, Cersei. I mean, Joffrey is born of that, of that same attitude. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, the riot is, again, there you go, that riot is just horrendous. Yeah. <clears throat> Anybody? I just want to make sure we don't have. We any. can talk about Joffrey's hero's journey. Nope, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, Joffrey's, you know, just a just a. Theon, Theon definitely does have one. Theon yeah. for sure. I mean, we're waiting. You know, in the in the books, it still is a longer burn. Once again, to see that redemptive arc and his atonement. You know, I think that's a big part, and I think you see that definitely in uh, Theon, and we're going to see that in Jamie. 
Um, you know, Jamie's definitely one of my favorite characters. It's mm. one of the reasons why I got really into Game of Thrones from the books, you know, the book perspective. Um, well, I mean, with Jamie, it's like you start off, you're supposed to hate him. You're not supposed to believe that he has any yep. sort of redemption arc or hero's journey. And, and honestly, like, and that's again, supportive. I'm not going to, we're going to ignore everything the show does with yes. Jamie because, like, just ignoring this right now. But he, he really does have, like, like, him and 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 one Theon, it's like you don't necessarily dislike Theon in the beginning. Like it's not until Clash of Kings when he you know takes over Winterfell right. and He's everything. Just trying to get his spear wet. But, but, yeah. but I mean, even then, like like you know, there, there's a good amount of time where you don't you know Theon's just kind of like a side character, and then all yeah. of a sudden he becomes a bad guy. But you know, and and then of course you don't. Thank God you don't have to read his torture like yeah, you had right. to see it in the show. I think I think Theon's but. torture is his form of death, and when he oh, emerges, yeah. it's his, it's his rebirth. Yeah, Reek yeah. was just—I mean—that's the lowest of a low a human right. can go. Right, exactly, yeah. and and and, yeah. and I and I think Jamie's time with uh, you know with House Bolton and all the of their companions, the brave yeah. companions, exactly yeah. the brave companions. I think that's his death, getting his hand cut mm-hmm. off. Yes. Oh, absolutely, that, that is the death of Jamie Lannister. Oh, he, is, he is yeah. never Jamie Lannister yeah. after that. No, and no. so and so they definitely are hitting those those beats. He yeah. was never like the only thing he cared about, the only escape he had was being in night and fighting. You yeah, know, like, I am one of the top three swordsmen. Yeah. Right. That was his that was it. That was what he could hang on to. And I mean his time with Brianna obviously really filled that handshake hole, I guess, and like filled that gap in that okay, let's not take that out of context. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Brainies, I hear you. <laughs> No, that that she filled that gap yeah, kind of helps him to be a better man and to find like inside of him what he could actually do his aptitude. Yeah. I mean, and 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 again, and that's, that's sort of a coming together of an arc there from Duncan Egg of those two families coming back together in those two characters reunited. Yeah. What's wrong? Talking about house arcs. Yeah, they're also uh, like. First cousins, technically, then, right, or something, or second yeah. cousins. Then. There's a cousin relationship. There's there. a cousin relationship there now. It's okay. <laughs> it's it's definitely okay. <laughs> I mean, it's Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, so. If it's okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. They're all related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, how much Irish do you not want to be? Right. Like, what percentage right. is it? I don't know. It's high though. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is this is a little bit off topic, but I mean, it's like going back to like like art, like U.S. history. Yeah. Like if your if your family colonized like New yeah. England, and and your friends' family colonized New England, guaranteed you're related like six ways from oh, Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and again, that goes back to the whole like there's only so many there's only so many great houses, minor houses, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. So like they're all intermarried and inter. And, and Martin modeled the, after the real world. Yeah, you know, I mean the War of the Roses and all of the. The intermixing between the French yeah. and the English, and I mean, they were all definitely married. Yeah. And the marriages were all political, strategic. You know, once again, you either had to ferment an alliance outside of your region because you're trying to have some sort of conquest or expand your territory, or within your region to um, deal with unrest, prevent rebellions. Mm-hmm. You know, keep the people within the region satisfied. And plus, there's that notion of nobility rule and commoners don't, and nobility shouldn't, you know, marry with commoners because it dilutes. The nobility's mandate mm-hmm. to rule. And then you look at those things like Jenny and Duff of Old Stones, you know, and you see all the Targaryen kind of mishaps and Egg's reign of what went wrong, and he had so many great laws for the small folk and so many good things in store, and then, you know, prophecy happened. Um, it's just not good. You see those kind of feelings, 
And for the small folk, it makes me think of the storming of the dragon pit that George put in Fire and Blood, which is during uh, Dance the Dragon End Times, basically, that the small folk rose up and they killed a lot of dragons. They just hacked at them, murdered them, awful, just bloody death. And uh, people always say Aegon III was dragon's bane. He's the reason the dragons died. But the dragons died directly because the Dance of the Dragons, because they wouldn't set aside their pride and figure something out. And they just decided to tase out the land with just fire and just kill each other. And uh, bloody wars like that, it's like these are the rulers they don't want anymore. So the heroes that we're seeing in the story like Sansa and Bran that uh, actually have the like-minded like endgame of, okay, well, you guys need like to be safe and maybe not die in the winter or die by war. We get that. That's kind of what I think the endgame is going towards at least that just gonna make the small book have a day. Well, I mean, and I, I have think the requisite number of brothels, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Braun. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I think like also that that brings up the point of like the characters who, like Sansa and Bran and John, um, they they care uh, they care about the. I mean, we'll call them small folk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Sansa. Uh, she she sings you know the mother's the mother's hymn to you, you know in, when they're like um, all hiding you know in Maegor's keep. I mean, keep. make no mistake, very much so, still privileged and highborn, and she doesn't absolutely. Get much but she does think of the small folk, and she tries to put on a brave face because she's standing in that light of Cersei, the like Nega Sansa standing there just like jaded, just being like I'm drunk and they're all gonna die anyway, and Cersei Sansa's just like. Okay, I have to be really brave for them because she kind of sucks. Well, I mean, and 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 like she also just, um, I mean, and, and not just Sansa. Again, like you mentioned, Bran earlier, like sending yeah. sweets down to to his his people. Really, they're his people, so, and oh. and John, you know, going so far out of his way to help the wildlings and everything, like. And I mean, shoot, even Dan, we we haven't talked about Danny yet. Yeah. I feel like we're all kind of avoiding it. <laughs> Like, when does the hero not become the hero? Exactly, exactly. I mean, really, because, like... When does and, it change? We and you see it... Well, you, she's, in the books, she's yeah. still there, you know, caring about the small... And caring about her people. Yeah, You know, absolutely. caring about her people. Yeah. But you still... I mean, I. this is one thing, like, while I completely agree that that this show, like, trashed her, her character arc at the end, like, you do see the hints of what's to come. I mean, and you see it in the books, too, when she crucifies the masters and everything, like, um, yeah, hints. Yeah, but oh. foreshadowing isn't character development. No, but. Right, of course, of course, of course. Oh, exactly, trust me, I got you, I got you, I got you, fam. I got you, fam. But you see, like, when it does turn, I mean, the end, the, the vision, when she's, you know, dying in the Dothraki Sea, she's like, wow, I have a stomach bug. Um, she's, like, laying out there, and Quaith comes to her in the stars, is like, remember who you are. Like, she tells her, she does the Mufasa thing, right? She shows up, she's like, you're a dragon, Daenerys. And, I mean, she's not going to raise Dothrak for a vacation, and she's gonna have to burn her way back to Westeros. She has Illyrio to deal with when she finds out that Aegon is being propped up, and that's what the show was missing. And that is what is going to be her misstep. Aegon is going to throw her off her game. The second Dance of the Dragons is going to affect her, I mean, that's why George expanded so much in Fire and Blood on Rhaenyra, mm -hmm. to give yeah. you kind of that really, really gray morality, because everybody in history says, oh, is the worst, but how many other Targaryen men were far worse than what she did? She just fought for her birthright, and Danny's a conqueror, and she's coming to fight for her birthright. Well, yeah, men and women. I mean, clearly the Dance with Dragons right. know, was a conflict of personalities with two very strong female personalities there that were in yeah. conflict. Um, 
But I think you definitely see in like Magor a reflection in what can happen when mm -hmm. you flip on that other side yes. and you, you know, when that switch flips on. Because I'm sure that if we got a POV from Magor, he would ultimately think he was the hero. Mm -hmm. You know, he would think, hey, I went out there and I fought, you know, I fought on that hill. I fought against seven people. You know, I came up triumphant even though I got, you know, hit on the head. You know, I mean, in constantly he prevails and prevails and prevails. So I think you go back to perspective. You think from your perspective, you are the hero. And then Martin comes and subverts that by showing us all the perspectives and saying, no, absolutely not. Sorry, Danny, you ultimately are not the hero of this. But I mean, and her vision was good, but it's like yeah. the Pawnee merger and Eagleton merger. It's not how it works. Did you know that I'm a luminary and they still have like fire community? Oh, God. No, you, you can't just do it overnight, though. That's not how it works. And Danny's learning that and she's going to keep learning it. And she did have the vision. She wanted people to be free. And what happens when you cross that line? Where does that switch go? Um, and I think she's going to be driven into it by these kind of birthright issues. And when she later finds out that her recent ally, Jon Snow, ally in the sheets and the streets, uh, <laughs> when she finds out that he's a Targaryen too, she's going to be like, I just dealt with this, dude. I thought yep. it was good. Um, yep. Yeah, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for her. Yeah, it's because the order operation is there. She yeah. finds out about Fagon and then finds out about Jon. Yeah, yeah, clearly that's going to come out first, especially since he's already back. With, right, and you think that she'd be like, yay, I have family. And, and of course, Fagon thinks he's us. actually a hero as well. You know, he's got Blackfire, he's coming back, you know. He I has mean, everything, she doesn't. He has all, uh, the only thing he's missing is the dragons. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I mean, and, and, and how long will that necessarily, like, ring true? Like, will will one of the dragons end up... There, or dead, with, or... or with know, attached to him, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. also, I mean, that's... <laughs> Side note, just like 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 postscript over here, um, like John in in the show where he just like walked up. She's like, yeah, just ride this dragon. Like, how did you not know he's a Targaryen and you're just letting him ride your dragon? Just she's get like, on that dragon, boy. Five seasons ago, my dreams come true. I'm special. Yeah, John, get on dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, buddy. Maybe he'll fall off. Maybe she knew. <laughs> yeah. Yes, go ahead. I, I hate to use the. the Right, yeah. A lot of it is like um, uh, the, the journey they take and the choices they make on the journey. Uh, the ones that kind of fail or aren't the true heroes are the ones that are by any means necessary to get to the end. Like the ends justify the means. Where the ones that are the better characters or like that care about the small, the, the small folk are the ones that care about the, the, uh, the means as well and not just the ends. Where Danny starts to edge towards the ends justify the means toward the end of the, even where we're at in the books and a little quickly in the TV show too. But uh, that's, I think that's where the difference between all the characters come in where you get the true yeah. hero's journey and the like the corrupted or half-ended hero's journey. Right, you see a dichotomy there, right? And obviously there's a there's a short burn and a quick burn. In the short term, you know, obviously the people that are in Justify the Means are going to triumph, right? I mean, yeah. that's why Ned fails, you yeah. know, because those folks just have it. But when you're setting up a reputation, like, you know, what Walder Frey has done for himself, yeah. he's put himself in a spot. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to trust that guy again. I mean, literally, when your sigil is double crossings, I mean, it's problematic. <laughs> so... And you think about Ned and, like... Ned died for our sins, obviously, right? Like, he's the death, the sacrifice, the story, so that the story can actually go on, because he has all the answers. You don't want to learn, you, you'll learn R plus L equals J, you know, you'll learn John's parentage, yes. 
after you read it a bajillion times, you're on fan forums, obviously, but like the first time you read it, Ned dies, you're like, now we'll never know the mysteries that are going on. And that's the point. Um, and it, it's interesting because like characters like Stannis are just the mini arc for Danny, right? Oh, Stannis. Stannis is proto Danny. Stannis is righteous and just, and he does things that you might not be comfortable with, uh, but he still is a just ruler. And Danny's gonna take that similar arc because the, the real Song of Ice and Fire, besides the friends we made along the way, that's the real Song of Ice and Fire, uh, <laughs> ice preserves and fire consumes. That's what the story's telling us. Danny chooses fire, Stannis chooses fire. Um, you have characters like John, that John will likely choose his ice side. He will probably be more loyal to the Starks than he would be to a family he Absolutely. never knew in the end. Uh, he'll be more loyal to Ned, to his legacy, and that's what I don't even think it's loyalty necessarily. It's, 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 it's literally just that is yeah. what he knows that is who he is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can, you can, as people, we all grow and change throughout our life, but there's definitely like, I think there's definitely things we, we learn and, and that are instilled in us when we're young that mm -hmm. you're, th that's never going to go away. That code of ethics and morality. Yeah, but but it can but it can change and be altered and yeah. updated. And I think yeah. that's what you see in all the characters are transformed to update. You know, yeah. use that that framework. You know, that operating system, but install some better applications that allow them to get the task done. Andrew, people aren't computers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about robots, guys. Um, and to go back to Ned for a second, I think that's kind of where he fell off. There was that moment everyone talks about when Renly comes to him and says, hey, look, let's, let's just do this right now. And Ned won't do it. And I think that was where he should have changed a little bit. And he didn't. And that's where he goes down. I mean, I'll be real. I mean, Ned, Ned, Ned was was not wrong in in that situation. Like, but but once again, he'd already gone through his arc. He'd gone through his transformation. Yeah. He's post transformation. So yeah. to him, he's saying, "I've got all the skills I need because I've made it that far." Yeah. It's part of saying, you know. And I think that one of the things you can do in life is say, "Look, this is a constant journey." You know, it doesn't need to be a circle that ends, but a circle that can begin again, and you can learn, adapt, transform, learn, adapt, transform. In life, when you stop doing that, you stop growing and adapting, and you're gonna become bent by certain forces that have changed when you fail to change. Yeah, yeah you lose your page time, basically, yeah. is what he's saying. Um, and on, that, on top of that, like, uh, you know, Ned's whole arc in the first book is save the children. Right, yep. it's it, he sees the flashes of the Targaryen children wrapped in red wrappings so that their blood doesn't show. That's what the Lannisters delivered them to the bottom of the throne. Like he sees the slaughter, and he remembers like the sack of King's Landing. He saw all of the war and that firsthand. He walked when you see John in season eight walk King's Landing in the ruins. Like obviously the cinematography was off the chain this season. I'll give him that. They obviously put all that money and focus in that. But that's <laughs> that's what Ned saw. Right, those are when he watches Arya fighting and like learning to water dance with Sirio. He sees Liana in his head dead in her bed of blood. He sees his children and his family and all these other children dead from the rebellion and the war. And that's what carries through the story. Ned allows Daenerys Targaryen to live and he, you know, begs like, no, don't go kill her, Robert. Like, please don't do this. Let her live out and see how she becomes. And the story allows these characters to live their art and see how they become in the way. And Ned Stark's kids go a certain way because they're instilled with those things and you see that they carry on his sacrifice and death through the story. Well, I mean, and we, we touched on Stannis a little bit and I kind of want to go back to that because Stannis is, is um, well, because he's like the, like, kind of like the antithesis to yeah. the hero's journey. Is like, um, I mean, yeah, like, like he, 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 does he have, what, what is his magical boom? It's, I guess it's Melisandre, but like he doesn't, 
like. He's got a flaming sword. Justice. Yeah. Justice is That a is not magic. magic. <laughs> well, he's consumed by that prophecy and fire as well, right? Like, yeah. he has been told, so he lived his whole life dying for Robert out in war and starving and thinking, like, I'm not good enough and I should have been. I'm, I did all these things for you and I'm the middle child. And, like, obviously, we get it, Stannis. You're the middle child. He had to bear all that weight when Robert was off hanging and feasting. He had to help raise Renly or look after him and do this. He well, and he did a good job. And he did a good job at those things. I oh mean, yeah, don't get me did. wrong. I he love Stannis, but yes, yes, he's owed this. This is his right, and he's owed it. Robert gave him Dragonstone. It was an insult when it's like that's technically the heir status. So shut up, Stannis. Uh, God, I know it's grim, but just got like I don't know a dehumidifier. Um, <laughs> but like he he grows up thinking like I am the rightful king now that my brother's dead and his kids are born of incest, and he does have a better policy than most of the candidates, right? We can at least yes. put that down besides yes. the burnings. Uh, but he's been told suddenly <laughs> she comes to him, Alessandra comes to him and says, "Hey, you're special." That's all he's ever wanted to hear in his life. That, oh, I am the king. You're right. I am Azora High. I could do this. And that's what drives him. And it's the same thing like with Quentin. Quentin, you're not going to be Daenerys' king. You're not the hero of your story. Stannis, you're not the hero of your story either. And, of course, that downfall will come eventually, as we know, um, when he, you know, makes some toasted marshmallows. It's not nice. Yeah. So Well, that's like... So, so, um succumbing to temptation i couldn't say yeah. that for a second but yeah no it's you know the, the temptress you know mm -hmm. that gets him it's melisandre yeah exactly it's exactly. essentially melisandre yeah. yeah i mean the the iconic lady in red I mean, yeah i mean <laughs> like literally everything about her is red except yeah. for yeah. her literally skin literally the first sentence about her is her eyes are red her hair is red everything was red <laughs> we got it <laughs> Um, so we're getting close to the end here, but does anybody else have any thoughts or questions before we... No? Okay, okay. Well, last thoughts from you guys. Well, I had a question for Andrew. You, you know, you went through and you talked about the cycle, about learn, grow, blah, blah, blah. blah. It sounds like you're turning the hero's journey into one giant OODA loop. Are you familiar with the OODA loop? No, that, I, that sounds like something like from Willy Wonka. Something yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's military doctrine. Like, it's a decision-making process. It's, yes. It's observe, uh, orient, act, or, or observe, orient, decide, act, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you do that continually. And mm -hmm. if you're faster than the other person yes. at completing your OODA loop, you win. Yes, and that's that's generally now I'm going to use that word all the time. Oh, oh no! You gave me something. I There's a whole page that. on Wikipedia. Oh my god! I'm going to go with, so deep in that rabbit hole. Oh man! Oh, with charts. Yeah. But I, I mean, that's something that I see in characters and see in people, and I do see that. You know, if you're able to adapt, overcome, integrate, versus go through something and remove yourself from the world, and I think the characters we love, the characters we see in the story, the characters that are adapting, are overcoming, and literally prevailing are the people like Arya, are the people like Jon, that are getting into the thick of it, they're integrating themselves in these systems, they're learning, they're growing, they're adapting, and they're doing it over and over again. You know, Arya was doing it in King's Landing when she was first learning swordsmanship. She's doing it as a faceless man. She's going to do it when she comes back to Westeros. I mean, she, she did it when she was, you know, traveling with Yorin and, yeah, exactly. and, and then stuck it at Harrenhal. Exactly. So. so, like, those cycles keep going. You don't need to just have one mentor. And Sansa you know? is the same way. Yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. a transference of power. Like it, the story's not about the adults. It's not about Ned. It, it no. subverts that. It tells you no. It's not about Cersei. It's not about Ned. It's about these kids and what they're going to form the next world with. Yes. I mean, shoot, like it's not like like Rob being the oldest, like, and it's not even it's not at all about him either. You know what I mean? Like, like he he's he's still like a kind of what you, what we would like 
point out as like a child at the beginning, but like he's gone. You know what I mean? And he's and and he's actually, it's, it's like as soon as he's elevated to adult status, is is when he's gone. Like you know he's gone. I would actually say it's there's a pattern that you can pick up on. People in the in in a Song of Ice and Fire who react the fastest to problems are the ones that die. Yeah. I mean that that's a pattern and Rob was the was the first one to react to Ned. Ned was the first one to react to the problems at King's Landing, you know. Like Rinley was the first one to react trying to get the throne. He was faster than Stannis. I mean, the first reaction is is the is the end move. Yeah. For right. them. Yeah. And that's generally in those situations. It's it's generally the ones that hold them hold their chips back. And we see that that prevails. Like Walder Frey, exactly. Tywin Lannister, exactly, exactly. Who made his moves at the last second? Shows up to King's Landing during uh, Robert's Rebellion at the last moment. I'm the conquering hero. Yep, yep. And because of that, you know, neither nobody knew who he was representing. <laughs> right. <laughs> nobody knew what he was coming there for. So it's almost the opposite of game theory, where first turn advantages. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, you act first, you win. Well, not in the Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, no, not in the Game of Thrones. I think it's. I think it's one of the forty-eight laws of power is yeah. to wait. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else, guys? We good? Thank you all for coming. Um, we'll be back here at seven to talk about Game of Thrones season eight. Um, I will say that I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's going to be one of the panels that fills up. So I would get here early. Um, also tomorrow we've got fire and blood Targaryen history at four and then at 10 o'clock, uh, loony theories. That's another one where you absolutely have to get here early, like nine 30 for a 10 panel. It, it, it fills up. There's a lot. And please bring your crazy theories. We know the show is over, but we know that there are still theories out there. Books live on forever. Thank you for listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out my website, ageeksaga.com, or consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash ageeksaga.